What's up, everybody? It's your boy Fatal from Fatal Affair. If you like us, make sure you follow us on wherever you get your podcasts. On Apple, Google, Spotify, or Stitcher. Thanks for listening. Everybody, I know what we're here for, y'all. But something amazing has happened. The new Spider-Man teaser just came out after it was leaked on the web, pun intended, and it has the other half of my brain occupied next to this episode of What If. We've been sitting on this trailer for a couple days, so we have a little bit of stats, a little bit of theories, and then we're going to go right into the Disney Plus Marvel series, What If. You guys ready? This is a spoiler podcast, so I'm just going to go ahead and spoil a two-minute trailer. Doc Ock looks fucking incredible. Top notch. We knew who we were supposed to get returning and some possible names, and I didn't know if we'd get Charlie Cox's Daredevil, Sandman, Toby, or Andrew. But shit, I'll take Alfred Molina and Willem Dafoe alone. Fans have been picking apart second for second of this new trailer, even showing a scene a bit brighter than the original, revealing the lizard from the Amazing Spider-Man run of movies. I don't know about you guys, but I saw at least four or five of the Sinister Six showing up in this teaser alone. And as I was informed by uh, a viewer, Vulture and Scorpion are hanging out in jail together. And they are famously part of the Sinister Six. I don't know if this can confirm both Spider-Men for a return, and if not, I think fans would be pretty disappointed. But when Doc Ock says hello to Peter at the end of the trailer, it's speculated that he's addressing Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man instead of Tom Holland's. I also believe when Spider-Man is in the interrogation room, I think this is when Matt Murdock will make his MCU entrance. I think the devil graffiti on Tom Holland's face on the sign out front of the courthouse, albeit funny to think about Mephisto, I think it's to put the devil imagery in your head entering a law house. Matt Murdock has just as much a duality as Peter. As we learned in this trailer, it's not good to lead a double life. Going back onto the topic of Mephisto, let's talk about Doc Strange being oddly nice in this, holding a mug that says, oh for fuck's sake, I think in reference to Disney's purchase of Fox and bringing in their character via the introduction of the multiverse. Even a multiverse of madness producer saying Wanda is going to fight an X-Men character from the Fox universe in the upcoming Doctor Strange movie. I'm thinking Stephen Strange is already tied up during Spider-Man, and who else is part of Fox? Ghost Rider. I believe this Strange could either be Mephisto, or at the very least, Agatha. If Strange is just being Doc Strange, and we foiled Loki and we were around for WandaVision, so y'all, I didn't think my man, the Sorcerer Supreme himself, would defect to the dark side if this isn't Mephisto. He has joined Wanda, Loki, and Sylvie in the lineup for All-Star Universe Endangerers. He went and fucked up the multiverse too. I thought he was going to be pissed off towards the fuck it bunch for dunking our universe simultaneously into madness, but here he is making a cross-finger promise to Wong and splitting apart the fabric of reality. Please, we save the universe together. Call me Steven. Okay, Steven. What the fuck, dude? You were supposed to protect the multiverse, not unleash it. Theory time. My hype levels for Spider-Man are endgame level, and from what I can gather on the front page of every internet website, so are every other fan's hype levels. I hope I return to a fully vaccinated movie theater audience the size of Endgame and we all lose our absolute minds when Tobey Maguire suits up on screen. Hell, this is the kind of movie when anyone shows up, it'll warrant an applause. I also can't get enough of Doctor Strange helping fuck up the multiverse memes. Anyways, now to the reason we are here. The Spider-Man and Eternal trailers were just bonuses this week. Time to talk about the big topic, the Disney Plus Marvel series, What If? 
continuing our fandom in more now-canon ways and continuing to give us stuff we didn't know we wanted or needed. Marvel is the gift that keeps on giving. Let's remember these moments, shows, and themes because we live in some pretty confusing times. And these shows are something I look forward to now each month and every other month, as a lot of us do. I don't want to go back to that long wait between Endgame and Black Widow. This week's episode of What If is titled, What If the World Lost Its Mightiest Heroes? A world without the Avengers? Pretty powerful title. Open to the Marvel Studios intro to not let you forget... This animated production is a part of this universe, canonically and beautifully voiced by everyone that showed up. I won't say that everybody is their true characters. There are some fill-ins for these big celebrity roles. For the most part, a lot of these people return to do themselves. In this intro, it's Jeffrey Wright. In the foils, it's me, Fatal. I am your guide to this vast new episode. Nick Fury practicing the classic Avengers speech that birthed from the death of Coulson furthering how fake Coulson's death was in Avengers as he went on to star in the ABC Marvel series Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., showing Nick Fury's manipulative ability and symbiosis with strategy, forming the perfect military ops squad for the entire world. A loving recreation of the famous scene from Iron Man 2, not one of the best movies, or possibly the best movie in some people's books. Personally, it stands still to be one of my favorite openings in the Marvel Universe, some of my favorite first 15 minutes in Marvel movie history to date. At the time of its release, Iron Man 2 was all we had off the heels of Iron Man 1, so it was our Virgil into a still-birthing MCU. Stark in the donut. Beautiful. Stark may be eccentric, but he's got potential. A little back and forth between Nick and Natasha, something we don't see much of around the MCU. We grab their relationship from glimpses seen in the Marvel titles. Sir, I'm gonna have to ask you to exit the donut. Classic. A little nicer than the Fury I remember, but when you're looking at Samuel, it's hard not to picture a whole lot of motherfuckers thrown around. A loyal recreation of the diner scene from Iron Man 2, and I'll admit I had some skepticism the further this went on, hoping it wasn't as close as a recreation as the first episode turned out to be in parallel to Captain America's The First Avenger. But when the wild twist occurs, all bets were out the window. The injection shield gives to Tony to calm some more aggressive symptoms down from the poisoning he had in Iron Man 2 now leaves Tony Stark dead to the surprise of Fury and Natasha. Everything the Watcher says in this much like the comics is otherworldly poetic and very quotable, and I will quote them often. Humanity so eager, so willing to face the impossible, yet blind to the bigger picture. I love the use of different animation style used when the Watcher narrates the parallels. It's very comic concept-esque. So sidebar, while the world met the monster hiding in the man. This mention of the Hulk appears to canonize the Edward Norton Hulk movie before the recasting in Avengers with Mark Ruffalo. Us knowing it's canon because of Robert Downey Jr.'s appearance at the end, but it always has been an unspoken acceptance, it seemed to me. In this art using the likeness of Ruffalo's Hulk but Edward Norton's Bruce Banner, I am the Watcher, and where humans see chaos, I see the Crucible that would transform this collection of individuals into a team of heroes. But that's not our universe. This is a different one. On a Tuesday. This kind of shocked me at first, like, damn, they assume Natasha gave Stark the poison. I mean, she did administer it, but it would have been handed to her, right? We see a little pre-crossbones in charge of Nat's security force. Kind of seems fishy how this was set up. 
our man Nick Fury doing what he does best and moving chess pieces around. He knows Nat is innocent but needs to prove she's innocent as the super spy she is. From the outside, looking in. Safest bet I'll ever make. I absolutely adore the condescending Natasha's eye animations in this scene, playful and tense at the same time. Quite the mission to entrust being surrounded by like 20 guards in a truck. I had a good feeling about what was coming up. Mind holding these for me? Yeah, Widow, show us that Avenger-level performance like Steve Rogers in an elevator. Nat dispatches a whole enemy force in the back of a truck. The commentary of the truck drivers during the exchange, sure she can land a punch because people don't expect it. Naively spoken, best put respect to my girl Nat's name. In simultaneous happenings, Natasha is handing ass to fully aware security men. Crossbones thwarted again. We cut over to Thor from Thor 1 stealing Mjolnir in the rain in the night while Fury and Hawkeye converse about Mjolnir. No one can lift it, not even Jackson, and he does CrossFit. Hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Thor beating ass in the shield sight in search of his mighty hammer reported in by Coulson to a Nick Fury. Sir, he's gorgeous. Coulson wasn't lying about the hair. It's nice. <laughs> Slow-mo Thor hair flip. Hawkeye takes the shot for Fury and unable to hear his orders, Barton kills Thor, an arrow to the heart. Barton convinced he didn't shoot, I immediately smelt Loki. That would make for a villainous yet not reformed Loki as we have in future MCU titles. Barton and Natasha, now both wanted for murder of future teammates and present Avenger candidates. All we're missing now is Nick Fury killing Captain America with a punching bag. Nick Fury checks on Barton who is now dead himself. Earth's Mighty is taken out mercilessly and one at a time. Revealing Barton had a wife and kids which otherwise wouldn't have come to light until Age of Ultron. Comes up during a conversation over his corpse. It's murder, I tell ya. Conspiracy. Someone wants the not yet Avengers dead. Even while rotting, he smells like lavender. Two of Earth's mightiest now rotting corpses. Coulson, don't keep sniffing dead Thor. I'm gonna have to ask you to leave. Now this next scene is wild! This Wednesday is fucking bananas. Culver University, Virginia. A setting during the 2008 Incredible Hulk, the college campus where a Bruce Banner would get caught on film Spartan kicking a now abomination into a sturdy tree. Also acknowledging Bruce's old flame and who was portrayed in that movie by Liv Tyler, Betty Ross finds herself in front of the Black Widow. Last time having visited Betty because of the whereabouts of Dr. Banner, now Natasha finds herself looking for clues as to who murdered Tony Stark. Natasha came to the right gal, because Betty Ross happens to be an expert at keeping things off S.H.I.E.L.D.'s radar. For comics, that goes even deeper. Because her father Thaddeus being the Red Hulk, in addition to her romance with Dr. Bruce Banner. This kind of secrecy and this location whereabouts also proves how Black Widow was able to get to Bruce Banner at the beginning of the Avengers. It seems like a tiny projectile was fired out of the needle before the antidote even made it out of the syringe, making me assume that Hank Pym was involved in some kind of way. To the mention of Nat, asking about nanotech. Stan Lee's Pizza Parlor, subtle Stan Lee nod, the man did love pizza. Natasha receiving the news that Barton is dead, and I'm sure a lot of people relate to her response with, who do I kill? But this line to me, albeit deserved, didn't land right. It felt clunky in place of what could have been an animated moment, uh, a little more fleshed out, a little more beautifully spoken. You need to find Banner. I think I already have. Natasha makes her way to a closet only to be blocked by a Betty Ross, then outsteps a Mark Ruffalo Bruce Banner. 
Coulson driving across a desert, but the backdrop transitioning into the scene with the Watcher in the background. Similar to how we've seen in the past couple episodes, these are the best desktops. Massive landscapes with a galactic canvas to an all-witnessing artist. Coulson steps out to witness the grounding of the Bifrost and the emergence of a peeved-off Loki and his army. My next thought following earlier events was Loki is here for Thor's vengeance. Hooray! Hulk tells Widow he can't die, which always has me recall when Bruce told Natasha he put a bullet in his mouth and the other guy spit it out. Such dark concepts coming from the Hulk's conflicted desire to keep fighting. Loki is here for vengeance. Hooray! Hulk hawks out. Loki's got a box. What's in the box? Natasha does impressive acrobatics out of a window whilst Mark Ruffalo, his Bruce, becomes the Edward Norton rendition of the Incredible Hulk. I found this cool to sort of unite the work done by both actors under one role, really playing with all of Disney's properties and embracing their newfound multiversal concept. The camera style of the fast-moving natural backdrop familiar to the 2008 Hulk, utilized in animation here, Natasha stopping Betty Ross from interfering, her hauling ass across a battlefield, an occupied battlefield. An absolutely horrific death of Bruce Banner ensues as the Incredible Hulk keeps gaining mass until eventually his body explodes. Fury strikes a deal in the interest of peace by bargaining with the Crown Prince Loki in a deal that demands a pound of flesh, or the whole corpse. Before the next sunrise of Earth, or Earth will be reduced to ash and ice. Hashtag Steve 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 I heart Steve 0704. A classic suspicious brass section starts playing amongst ominous tones and strings. Major Batman the Animated Series vibes in tone and music. Plays on the detect plays on the detective theme well. Natasha fighting an invisible person, not invisible, possibly small. It was becoming increasingly obvious Ant-Man would be behind this as Natasha uncovered clues such as it's hope, it's all about hope. This was a dead giveaway for Ant-Man as we know hope becomes the wasp opposite of Paul Rudd's Scott Lang in the light of Hank Pym's retirement. I wrote the speech. Ooh, my man busted out the pager, the Captain Marvel pager seen at the end of Infinity War after being informed he might be next in the killer's crosshairs. Fury makes his way to the shield mobile, glove box to grab the famous beeper. Either make a pact with God or a deal with the devil. That couldn't be Mephisto, right? Never mind, let's keep going. Thursday! And the Watcher is hanging out amongst the muted skies of San Francisco. A beautiful headstone that reads Hope Van Dyne, Beloved Daughter, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Nick Fury arrives to expect one Hank Pym, turned murderer, clothed in the Ant-Man suit, remodified into the yellow jacket suit. This Hank Pym, though villainous, was absolutely intense, a great what-if by this alone, incredible build-up, and a twice-surprise reveal. Not just being Ant-Man, but not being Scott Lang. Giving Hank Pym this correct scenario to want to commit serial killings. This version of Hank Pym is strung out, half-incoherent, from absolute rage, scorn, the emotions written and animated right on his face as he accuses Fury of forcing his now-deceased daughter to do his and S.H.I.E.L.D.'s less desirable deeds. Revealing Pym's plans played out, Hank was in the syringe acting as the bullet that pierced and killed Anthony Stark. He ricocheted off Barton's shot to aid the killing of Thor. They showed how he killed the Hulk. And I still can't believe something so visceral. That's truly a fucked up Hank Pym. But if he was on the team to fight Thanos, I'm just saying might have won. He murdered the Hulk by throwing a growth particle blade at Hulk's heart, enlarging him into exploding into a big green goulash. 
killing Natasha by just straight up Ant-Man strength beating her to death, not like and unlike the end of the movie Black Widow. But we need to start giving my girl Natasha some licks on these bad guys. Let her get some uppercuts in on someone. Florence Pugh better give Kang a haymaker. Nick Fury just swatting Hank Pym to the ground, rightfully insulting, performing youthful feats and skillful combative counters. Fury maintaining full control in the fight without breaking a sweat, even adding insult to injury and tricking Hank Pym into shooting Hope's grave. But wait, this clearly isn't Nick Fury, as we were forewarned earlier with the beeper. This is a mischievous Loki enacting a twisting ruse on Hank Pym to the instruction of Nick Fury. What's with the goth kid? What Fury says here almost feels directed toward the idea of a hero Loki. Like he just honorized Loki right in front of us based on a good deed. Shield is people. People willing to give their lives for something greater than themselves. And that's why all of them were candidates before their death. But now that Hank is apprehended, Loki can take Thor's hammer and dip. But Loki had other plans in mind for his loyal subjects of the world. In just one day, Loki has taken over the United Nations. Animation showing different scenes of the world, one that looks suspiciously lifelike to me. The Avengers may have died before they could come together, but they were never just a team. They were an idea that individuals could band together in our darkest hour and fight for our need. And so Fury goes in search for his new heroes in the wake of his original candidate's death. Hope dying is not only literal, but figurative. Jeffrey Wright's voiceover with Hope never dies. Fury finds a frozen Captain America and joined by the aid of Captain Marvel. This universe just may yet have Avengers, but that's for another time. Right now, it's time to wrap this episode of the Disney Plus Marvel series, What If? And this episode of The Fatal Foils. I'm Fatal, and you can join us each week as we uncover the potential of the vast multiverse and some of its infinite possibilities, for which we know frighteningly little about. Follow me on the socials at Fatal Affair Cast on the media and Fatal Affair wherever you get your pods. I'll see you guys next week when we ponder the question What if?